for those of you that uh, that may not know, because you're you're new to the show or whatever, you know, uh, obviously the Marine Corps has always been a big part of my life. I you know I originally enlisted in high school and then uh, went through uh, Navy ROTC Marine Option, got commissioned in '89, retired uh, in, actually August of 2009. So my retirement date's coming up. And it's it's funny sometimes how the Marine Corps is a small world. And so uh, one of the folks I worked with when I was at my uh, last duty station at the Marine Special Operations Command was at the time a, a major, uh, Russell Worth Parker. And he's gotten into the writing world post-Marine Corps. And so he, uh, you know, worked with Tom on this book. And so when I saw that, I said, hey, I'd love to get this story out because I think this is uh, this is very important because one of the things that we don't always realize is is one uh, you know the the American uh, you know fighting person does a lot for this country right we've got young men and women that put their life on the line so that we can be free and we can do things like shop on Amazon and you know and have our have our different perspectives and and we do it without question. We do it. And, and I think a lot of times uh, these folks, when they're, when they're on the battlefield, they're not necessarily doing it for mom and apple pie. They're doing it to that person to their left and to their right because they want them to go home. And, uh, you know, Major Tom Schumann uh, has been a part of this, uh, you know, since 2008 is when he went to the basic school you know, became a Marine officer. And and really, he's got a, a fascinating story because it's not your typical story. I mean, his mom didn't want him to join the Marines, right? Uh, she she wanted to have anything to do with the military. And, and God bless her, you know, uh, Tom, I admire what your mom has done as a Chicago uh, police officer to help uh, to help raise you and your uh, your sibling. And so, you know, it's it's uh, you know his his father you know was was incarcerated uh, in in Georgia, but they still post that time were able to to reconnect. And I, I just think you know I have a lot of admiration for Tom in reading this book, but also as we're going to learn about his interpreter Zach, and that's what a lot of this is going to be about. Um, so I, so this I don't spoil the whole thing though, uh, Chris. We probably should. Uh, should get uh, get Tom on here. And so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome an American patriot, active duty Marine, Major Tom Showman, the operations officer for 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines. Tom, thanks for being here today. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I mean, Tom, I guess the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, because Marines don't like to write, right? So, you wrote a book about about this. I mean, this this obviously is something you're very passionate about. What made you think to to go down this route? Sure. I first want to address one of your comments in the opening uh, monologue there when you said that uh, you know they they preserve liberty so that we can shop on Amazon. And uh, it reminds me of when people say uh, America's not at war. America's at the at the mall. The Marines are at war. And 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 it's used to be this disparaging comment. And I always say. It, wouldn't we prefer it that way? You know, wouldn't we? You do you want what's the what's the alternative? Have America at the war? Uh, you know, it, it's the very reason that we have the Marines is so that America can go to the mall. I don't want my little sister at the war. I don't want my grandma at the war. I want you know, and so so the idea is is that 
uh, we volunteer uh, to preserve those liberties and those freedoms so you can shop wherever you want, go wherever you want, and, and, and continue to live your way of life. And that uh, we'll, we'll we'll carry the fight where, where we need to. And so uh, I just, uh, that, that sticks out. Why, why did we write the book? Uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't know if I'm an anomaly in terms of being a Marine and who likes to write. I, I have found that uh, more and more Marines are, are thinkers and, and are interested in developing that, that, that lethal mind. And so um, there are definitely some stereotypes about Marines and uh, there's a bad joke about crayons. But I, I'll yeah. tell you that I, I find more and more Marines uh, who are interested in reading and writing and, and uh, really smart. And, and so uh, I, I had the opportunity to go to graduate school uh, at Georgetown. I got to study literature. And uh, then I got the opportunity to teach at the Naval Academy for a couple of years. And then uh, I got sent back to another school, uh, the Naval War College, to get another graduate degree. So I, I, I had four years. So the Marine Corps was just paying me to train my brain or, or help other people uh, read and write. And so um, I have been drawn to, to, to writing uh, for sure, pr- both professionally and, and personally. I we, we wrote this book, I think, that, that highlights some stories about uh, the heroes in our lives. And so I, I, I start that by talking about my mom a little bit. Uh, I have an opportunity to talk about some young men who are heroes of mine, uh, that I served with in Afghanistan. And then, uh, we, we end the book talking about some heroes who in the midst of a sea of tragedy out there outside of the airport in Kabul, there were some young men and women who held the line and, and, and demonstrated what it means to be no better friend all the way up until the end. And so, we wanted to we wanted to kind of convey uh, some stuff about friendship, some stuff about promises, and um, I, I think that's what compelled us to to write the book. Yeah, and and when you talk about promises, I think that's part of the story with you and Zach, right? You when you left, right? You were you were going to do everything you could to help him, and as things have, you know, if you want to say, as things kind of started to fall apart as we know it in Afghanistan, right? You, you kind of, you know, took to the cause of like, Hey, I, I promised this guy I was going to help him. And, and you were, you're not going to let him down. No different than, you know, how I think most, you know, the, the ethos of us as Marines is right. We we're always going to be there for our fellow Marine and help them no matter what. We don't leave anyone on the battlefield. And this is no different because Zach, it, it, and you talk about it in the book, even though he's, you know, not a, not a Marine, he became a part of that brotherhood. And he, you know, he put his life on the line for you. I, I remember reading that part where like you, you know, you hit that, uh, that IED and, and you like didn't know what happened. And there he is standing over you, protecting you when he could have very easily just taken off. And so he's a very uh, unique individual. And I have so much respect for, for the, the man that he is. Sure. Another point from your opening monologue, I was paying close attention. Uh, as, as you know, you said we don't necessarily just fight for apple pie and uh, whatever ideals that. And, and and so there's a great passage in one of my favorite books that I taught at the Naval Academy, uh, Gates of Fire. And there's a platoon commander, Dionysus, in that, and he says, "Forget what you think you fight for. Uh, forget God, country, or other any other higher noble virtues that you think uh, that you fight for. For today, what you fight for." is a man to your left and to your right, for he is everything and everything is contained within him. And and that is when you're in the trenches, when you got your bayonets fixed, uh, that is truly what you are uh, fighting for in that moment. Um, and, and, you know, 
keeping our promises. The book is titled Always Faithful, which is uh, taken from the Marine Corps motto, Semper Fidelis, which is Latin. And, and so to me, uh, it's easy to be faithful most of the time. I think most people can be mostly faithful. I think where you want to put the emphasis is on the Semper or put the emphasis on the always. And it's rare, I think, for people to be 100% faithful 100% of the time. And and it's because when you're when you're tested and when you meet that adversity and when you meet those challenges, some people will abandon their post. Uh, but if Semper Fidelis is, is more than a, just a bumper sticker, if it's more than a catchphrase, it has to mean something. It has to be an ethos and a way of life. And that means uh, no matter what, no matter what. And so... Uh, that that's really it's just me attempting to live this motto of, of, of what we ascribe to or what we say and so uh zach undoubtedly did that as you alluded to on the battlefield with us and 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 it was it was my duty i was honor bound to fulfill the promises that our nation made to him i have so much admiration for that and for what you're doing right now and so you know when we talked about this a little bit before the show I mean, a lot of this, you know, it really all started with 9-11. And we went into Afghanistan and we did what we could to give these people a chance at a better way of life. And so it was people like Zach that, you know, as they were growing up, saw this, right? We we saw, you know, we talked about, you know, Chris, you don't have daughters. So you're, I, I could say you're fortunate, unfortunate. Women were not allowed under the Taliban to learn. So even if it was only for a couple decades, and I love that you brought this up when we were talking earlier, they were given some opportunities that are life-changing. And so even though things are changing right now, we don't know what's going to happen. There are some Afghani women, right? Because they've grown up that were able to get education. Even men like Zach were able to get an education that they previously weren't able to do. So, you know, I, I think like we talked, I wouldn't say that this was all for naught. But I think now what you uh, and others and myself included would say is we do have a duty to help those that helped us. And that's part of, I think, why, why you've written this book. And we're going to talk about later on some of the things we can do to help Zach. Because even though Zach is here in the U.S. right now, there is a possibility that he may not be able to stay. And, and so uh, I just wanted to kind of hit on that a little bit, but, but would love to, to hear your thoughts on that, Tom. Zach, you know, in, in, in 2001... Army Special Forces started to show up to his province. And so he was about 11 years old and, and he saw a change in, in, in his province for the better. He'll, you know, you, you can read it in, in his, in his chapters, this alternating narrative between he and I, he, he has a chapter and I have a chapter. And, and he'll say that the, the soldiers showed up, they were handing out notebooks, pens, they built schools, they built government buildings, they provided different liberties, freedoms, and opportunities that we had never experienced under the Taliban. And so Zach said, uh, I should help. I should, I should help these guys. Uh, not because I want to go to America, but because I want this for my country. And so Zach's service with the U.S. forces was never, uh, his intent was never to do that so he can get to America. His intent was to do that so he can have a brighter future in his own country, a country that he loves. 
And so, uh, he, you know, he is a beneficiary of some of the things that were provided with the support of the U.S. Um, and he was determined to provide those opportunities uh, throughout the, the rest of this country. And so that's really what was the impetus for him to 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 sign up uh, with us and to fight alongside us. And uh, and 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 for a moment in time, there were glimmers of hope uh, and, and things and the quality of life was a little bit better. Uh, and, and that matters, uh, to me, that mattered to him. And, and unfortunately, uh, the situation changed. He, 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 his persecution became so oppressive, so dangerous that he, at some point in 2016 said, I don't have a a hope or a future here. I can't even leave my house without being the threat of being killed. The Taliban were leaving night letters at his home. They were calling him, they poisoned him. And he said, you know, I did all this so that I could have a better future here and so that I could raise a family here. But I, at this point, I'm afraid I'm going to get my head cut off if I leave my village. And so that's when he reached out to me in 2016 and said, hey, can you help uh, me apply for this visa program? And, and the U.S. established this visa program specifically because we knew our allies would end up being persecuted. And so in order to garner their support, we said, hey, uh, if you support us for 12 months, we'll provide you a pathway to citizenship. There, there's this visa program because we know that you will become a marked man. We know that you'll be hunted because you worked with us. And so we'll we'll alleviate that uh, by creating this visa program. And so 12 months, handshake, contract signed, uh, and and... In Zach's case, he ended up serving almost four years with U.S. horses, and and uh, but six years later, he still doesn't have his visa. Incredible and major. There's a lot. There's a lot of folks that are hearing some of this for the first time. You know, um, for those of us who um, you know have have written uh, or have I'm sure have read the book. And by the way, um, you know the Good Morning America story. I I dragged my wife in front of the television. And I said, you, you, you know, hey, we, we have an opportunity to interview this gentleman who's on Good Morning America. Um, and I think you might be interested in it. And as soon as that thing was over, she was like, where's the book? I got to read this. And, it, it, and so you, you touched on a lot of things uh, in the book. And I think some people are like, wait, wait a minute. You're talking about this guy, Zach. Like, um, it, it seems like we're... we're or maybe I, I don't want to assume that people understand sort of how we got to where we uh, where we're at him being the interpreter him being a part of this the book itself being like you had mentioned it starts with a chapter from from Zach then goes to a chapter of you so it's a point of view of of him then a point of view of you and does that alternation so it's just and it starts on 911 it starts where you know when where he's at and where you're at um, in in high school and when this is happening and how uh, it unfolded and how it impacted you, a very unlikely um, uh, Marine at that point, right? Who knew that you were going to be what you were going to be, but it affected you in such a way and took you to that and then took you to what many call some of the deadliest, one of the most deadliest deployments in this longest uh, war that we've had, right? And so I just want to pull that context in because, you know, we're, we understand that because we've read the book, but there's a lot of people that are like, wait a minute, you know, so, you know, for, if you could just maybe summarize some of that stuff so we can sort of get into it in terms of, 
you know, the story of, uh, of that and maybe, you know, kind of, kind of talk about how Zach and you were involved in, uh, the, the time that you were together while you were there in Afghanistan. Sure. I mean, the, the origin story there is, is, as you, you mentioned, um, our path towards intersecting started on uh, September 11, 2001. You know, I, I, I never had, uh, any interest in serving. I wasn't playing with GI Joes growing up. I didn't think, uh, yeah, I didn't have a long family history of military. Uh, I just left the Naval Academy a year or two ago where almost every, every midshipman has their dad or their uncle or some kind of connection. That wasn't me. Um, but the conclusion of 9 11, on the conclusion of that day, uh, I was living in the age of, you could say, innocence or ignorance. And I didn't know that there were people in the world that wanted to do us harm. And then I, I said, well, if there are people who want to take these liberties from us, uh, there have to be people who defend and preserve them. Uh, you should be one of those people. And that was kind of my first step. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I didn't know I was going to be a Marine. I, I probably didn't even know that there was a Marine Corps. Uh, and so that, that was kind of my first step. And, and for Zach, it was... He had not heard much about America or didn't know a whole lot about America, but he knew he 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 talks about the shared humanity, you know, irrespective of of religion or culture that that we're all humans. And he said he, he found that tragic that you know many men and women went to work that day and um were, uh, were killed. And 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 so he said, uh, and when he sees the the soldiers show up a couple months later, and he says, these are the people that we that al-Qaeda attacked like I I want to try to help and so that's that's what put us on a path towards meeting in October of 2010 and so uh, we meet there as you you, you referenced uh, it was the deadliest battlefield in the longest war of our country it was very kinetic extremely violent place and most interpreters at the time were quitting they didn't want to stick around when they got to saying in Afghanistan and so Zach shows up. He's uh he knows the local dialect. He speaks English very well. He's able to help me understand cultural nuances. Uh, he's help. He's able to help uh, mitigate some of the cultural blind spots for me. He, when we enter into a village to speak with the local people, uh, he's able to help me uh, read the situation and point me in a certain direction and, and and direct the conversation in a way that's helpful. And so he he's doing all those kind of things, which. Are probably within the the billet description or the job duties of a interpreter. He's translating, but uh, very quickly he became so much more to the platoon. Uh, whether that's uh, him sprinting through a minefield to detain the Taliban commander, or as we we he mentioned uh, when I was wounded, him being there and holding security. There's there's any number of uh, examples where he exceeded uh, his duties as an interpreter, and, and that's where he really started to become part of the platoon and and and, and, a, and a brother to us and um that, that's kind of the, the genesis there yeah and and you know technically he wasn't trained you know necessarily to be a soldier it's not like he was carrying a weapon and um and so and and so talk about developing that trust with with zach like what how what what was maybe the how did you first determine like this is somebody that that i can absolutely trust uh, to be by my side to, um, you know, to do what we all need to do. Sure. You know, we, we I, I, at that point, about two and a half years of training as an infantry Marine where uh, I'm clearing trenches and doing medical training and, and, and doing reacting to an ambush. And so, uh, whereas our interpreters, they're just 
regular Zach before that was did construction and farming, you know, and he had zero days of military training and then he's in the middle of a firefight. So that is a pretty steep learning curve. Uh, and, and most interpreters in those situations became liability. They would lay down and then you try to move and then you have to go back and get them. And, uh, but Zach kind of, uh, from, from the onset was there, uh, really right beside us. And, uh, that trust forms shared misery builds camaraderie, you know, shared adversity builds trust. And so, uh, the fact that he was shouldering the load, the fact that he was accepting all the same risks and really fighting just step for step alongside us. That's, that's what will really foster a lot of that, uh, that, that trust. Yeah. And I think, I think that, you know, that's something too, that you don't always see. I, I, I remember reading in the book, it's like, I think you felt like you, uh, you know, you struck gold, but you, you know, it's like, you didn't want everyone to know that you had a good interpreter because somebody else might try to take him from you. And I thought that was, you know, if you want to say there's a little bit of humor in the, in the book, that that's what I thought was kind of funny. It's like, Hey, I got this guy that actually knows what he's doing. And I think a couple of times he's, oh, he, he's doing okay, but you didn't want people to know that he was better than that. Yeah. A good interpreter is worth the weight in gold and everybody's having the same struggle of, of finding someone who's willing to go out on these dangerous patrols. And and what and because so few people were, what you were left with is often people who either didn't speak English or didn't speak the local dialect. So now you're kind of screwed. And so uh, when, if word got around that, hey, we had this guy who was incredibly brave and actually really skilled linguist, uh, you might, your captain or your battalion commander or someone else, I'd say, oh, that guy's come work for me. And so that's what happened to us, uh, you know, a little shade at Marsoc. Uh, we had this great military working dog named Back, and uh, this 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 German Shepherd with his uh, the Corporal Roberts. They they find every IED, and they were great. And then uh, the reports got around that we had this super skilled team. And before you knew it, uh, they got on a helicopter and uh, went to work for somebody else. So yeah, you had to you had to be careful. Um, for those of you who are just joining us, so uh, live and, uh, you know, or on, you know, replay uh, or, you know, uh, we also repurpose this into an audio podcast later. Uh, we're speaking to Major Tom Schulman, who's written the book, Always Faithful, uh, available just recently on on Amazon. So if you come over to dealcasters.live, uh, we've got it available uh, here in, uh, in the carousel. And so, you know... Uh, Tom, I wanted to, you know, I know we're jumping around timeline-wise here. Um, I'm sorry, did I miss? Did I miss something funny? Yeah, I, 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 I shared something from Worth that uh, he, okay. he told. Uh, he told Tom, you know, easy on the Marsock shade. So I just thought he'd get a kick out of that. Shot, shots fired. <laughs> yeah, you guys. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Understand, uh, Chris, is that chops. Marines? We always like to, to, to. I'll just say bust on each other because I have to remember yeah. where we are. I'm hey, I won't use bust away. <laughs> Bust away. Um, so we we talked about uh, we talked a little bit about uh, about Dark Horse and and what what happened there. Um, you know, can you talk about uh, some of the stuff like you know without giving away too much uh, from the book, but like November 9th, two thousand ten, maybe a story around that. Sure. Uh, November 9th started off. Uh, Pretty terribly. Uh, I received the news that a good friend of mine, Robert Kelly, who's also a platoon commander, a uh, prior enlisted guy, uh, he had been killed in action. Uh, so that was tough. And then one of my squads went out and, 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 uh, and a Marine on that patrol was injured. And so then 
they couldn't get back to the base with that Marine who was injured. The Taliban kept uh, ambushing them along the way. And I said, hey, can someone throw out and help us get this guy out? And so I left with a squad uh, to go alleviate some of the pressure from from the, the the squad with the wounded Marine. And we get we they got back and, and and as we started to head back to the base, the the patrol was ambushed. And as I converged with my sergeant, who was my squad leader, Trey Humphrey, uh, he stepped on an IED. And and so uh he was wounded. My platoon sergeant was was right there as well. He was wounded and I was blown up one way. And so I, I as I regained uh consciousness I, I see zach there holding security looking out for me um i see one of my uh team leaders has already stepped up and assumed all the responsibilities of of the squad leader the corporal corporal Leahy, uh instinctively intuitively just stepped up and next man up you know that's what we train for in the marine corps with that one bullet away mentality and uh and 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 you saw how, one how well sergeant humphrey had trained that marine to take his place but also uh, just how talented that Marine was that he'd already called in the medevac and was setting security and that kind of stuff. And, and when I, uh, I went over and I saw Sergeant Trey Humphrey and he was missing his leg. Uh, my, my platoon sergeant was so concussed that he couldn't stand up or, or get up. And these are two men who I deeply, dearly loved. And, uh, we, we got Sergeant Humphrey onto the, the, uh, we call it a litter uh, stretcher. Uh, we got him onto the stretcher, and as we were carrying him off the battlefield, he kept turning to me and said, saying, "Hey, sir, uh, I know I'm heavy. Why don't you guys just put me down and take a break?" And uh, it was clear he was missing. I mean, he's not in good condition. Missing a leg, his other leg had been badly injured. And and um, I, you know, I was saying, Humphrey, we're not going to put you down. We're going to we're going to get you to the helicopter. And he said, "No, no, sir." I know I'm heavy. Just put me down. And, and here's a Marine who, while he was in flight, once he got on the helicopter, he died and he had to be resuscitated. And so the, when we think of this phrase, always faithful, uh, this is, this is the embodiment of it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a person who preceding their death, their thoughts are with the people around them. And, and that's, that's, that's the Marine Sergeant. That's, that's the young Marine. That, that's the people that, uh, it was important to capture the stories, to tell the stories of, of, of what it actually means to be always faithful and, and someone who in the moments we're seeing their death, if, when their thoughts are not with them, but with others. Um, it's a rare breed, uh, but you'll find it everywhere, uh, in the Marine Corps infantry ranks. And, and I'm fortunate to have, uh, been able to serve alongside of some of these heroes. Yeah, and it's, and it's unfortunate too because a lot of times, and, and I think that's one of the reasons, like you said, you did this. That story never gets told, and and I and I think that you did these these men a great honor by, you know, remembering them. You know, because you know other their families are always going to remember them, but for their families, maybe even to get a little bit more closure that knowing that someone, you know remembers their their sons for the great men that they were uh i i think is is definitely something uh definitely something important that we we should never lose sight of um and and that also reminds me you're, you're involved with a uh with an organization uh, i hope i'm not going to butcher the name but i think it's patrol base uh, abate is that that's is right. That right yeah you you want to talk a little bit about that sure i um at Georgetown, I got to study uh, moral injury and trauma narratives, and I looked at Homer, the Iliad, and the Odyssey. I looked at the Vietnam 
canon of, of literature and film. And, uh, there's a lot about this, this concept of moral injury or feelings of betrayal, feelings of shame and, and how that manifests in, uh, pretty unhealthy ways. And, uh, in April of 2020, I had three Marines commit suicide. And, uh, one of them was a particularly tough one in that he had extended for that deployment, um, at my request. And so when I found out, uh, that he had passed, uh, I started to read the VA suicide literature, the Veterans Administration suicide literature about what's going on here. And, and what I found were, was that feelings of disconnectedness and isolation are the leading proximal cause of veterans suicide. So veterans who are feeling alone or disconnected are the ones who are committing, are like most likely to commit suicide. So, uh, and then there was one other nugget in there that I found pretty interesting in, in, in that there was no correlation between combat veterans and suicide that, that actually uh, non-combat veterans were twice as likely to commit suicide. So I said, okay, well, what, what resources are out there that are getting all veterans? If it's a veteran issue, what, what resources are, what resources are out there that get all veterans in community, get all veterans connected? And what I found is that, uh, about 99% of the veteran service organizations out there are allocated to about 1% of the veteran population. And that's our wounded and our special forces. Now I celebrate that. I think that uh, wonderful that our nation has is committed to supporting the folks who make the biggest sacrifice, our special forces guys, and and, and are wounded. Uh, it's important that we take care of them. Uh, but I, I I feel like there was space to maybe uh, open the aperture a little bit. And and what I found is, is many of these organizations you had to check a box or jump through a hoop. You had to have a disability or a disorder. You you had to. And it was all, all these ways to kind of exclude you from joining into that community and, and getting into that connection. And and, and to me, um, wh- whatever community you're in while you serve, whatever MOS, whatever Air Force, Army, National Guard, Reserves, you were part of a tribe where everybody in that squad, in that unit, was willing to die for the other person. And I, and I think that is unique. And, and I think... Uh, it's hard to find that level of tribe outside of the military. And so as human beings, we all have the need for a connection. It's not just a military thing. It's it, I would just argue it's intensified through service. Then we're also issued a purpose. Every man needs a purpose. And, and so uh, we say, here's your mission. And we give you a task and we say, here's the purpose of that. Here's the why this is important. And so uh, it, whether you're a mechanic whether you're a truck driver, whether you're, you're, you're the chef or the communication specialist, all of us had this tribe and all of us had some type of purpose. And so I think it's natural to struggle with that as you transition from, from service. And so what I wanted to do is, is kind of get preemptive and proactive and say, hey, whether you're the PFC, private, first class, or uh, Air Force, or reservist, or National Guard, if you raise your right hand, uh, we've got a space for you within this organization. And, that, and we recognize that your service matters. And, and, and not that you're special, but that service in and of itself matters. And so what we did is we got a 350 acre, 350 acre ranch out in Montana. And we said, let's do the thing that you're into, whether that's, uh, uh, yoga, music, art, literature, uh, jujitsu, weightlifting. We, we bring folks out and we just say, Hey, uh, so long as you served, you're in. It's free of cost. We fly you out. We pick you up and we do the thing that you're into. We do that outside in nature around a campfire and we get back into serving and, and connecting and building that community again. And uh, undoubtedly, it has been 
transformational. Uh, the community that's formed out there and on, on the mountain in, in Montana has been, uh, it's just been nothing short of, uh, incredible. And so I, I'm, I'm fortunate to, to, to walk point or, or fill a sandbag within this organization patrol base about that. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's incredible. And I've, uh, not too long ago, I went on a vacation to Montana and that is, you know, people talk about God's country. I mean, when you, when you look, uh, you know, to your left and your right, it looks like a painting. That's yep. a, just a glorious, like transcendental, like amazing place, uh, for, uh, for someone to be. So it's like, you know, taking someone physically and putting them in that kind of place. And, and, you know, just that alone sometimes can, uh, can do that. And I, I love how, how you talked about purpose and you talked about community, but especially how it applies to someone who has been in the service, because like you said, it's amplified, right? It's, it's, it, it's like times, you know, however many zeros you want to put after the, the number one, right? Um, you know, but now, you know, for those of us who haven't had the opportunity to serve, um, those things are still important. Um, they're, they're important uh, for for you now. Uh, they're important for you to to look to uh, to be a part of community, to take care of yourself, so you're not in a in a situation where you're you're struggling with your mental health. And I and you know, I love uh, that you uh, that you're shining a light on that for everyone, but especially for those that uh, are are you know have been a part of the service. And, and you know, it's incredible that you said that. Because I think for someone like myself and probably most others, it's the ones that were in combat that you would think would be just most traumatized or maybe have that that sort of feeling, but it's not. It's it's just in general, um, which is which is incredible. Any reason why you think that is? Just because it's like once they get into the the real the sort of the the other world or whatever that, that it's just not the way it was. Or try sure, you know. Combat has a general stigma and negative connotation that surrounds it. I, I would say that uh, undoubtedly, um, there's a thing called post-traumatic growth that you experience while you're in combat, and that 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 the adversity and the hardship that you experience in heart, uh, in combat uh, are educational, and that that you can learn more in, in just sixty seconds in a firefight than you can maybe in a you know a decade of of, of study, and so. There's so many lessons that you can learn while you're under fire and while you're in that experience that actually they refine your soul, they refine your character. And, and that uh, for me, I, I am, I've got to a place of gratitude and growth from those experiences in combat that, that I, I'd say, you know, I'm thankful that I, that I had that hardship and that I wouldn't be the man that I am without it. So really, they, I think they actually, combat often helps you build resilience in your, in your character. And, and so... Uh, that, that that's that's part of it, and then and then and then the other part might be is just that there's not the same resources allocated to those who haven't gone to combat, and so maybe the, the combat veteran is able to tap into a larger resource network, which then maybe mitigates some of the the the, the risk factors. Whereas the, the non-combat veterans are just expected to say, "Hey, you know, everything's fine." And again, it's 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 that it's that transition. It's an identity crisis. I wore a uniform. We we all wear a uniform where over our left heart it says U.S. Marine, U.S. Navy, U.S. Army, right? And so, and we're indoctrinated into this culture. But there's no when you transition, you're just handed a piece of paper and you're told you're not that person anymore. And there's no indoctrination into the the civilian sector. And so I, I think there's a natural kind of uh, soul searching and identity crisis that occurs upon transition for every service member, uh, irrespective of if they're in combat or not in, in combat. 
Yeah, I would I would agree. I, I think even for me, Chris, like I've told you, it's like being retired almost 13 years, it's like you kind of go through that struggle of like, you know, I don't want to go around telling people like, you know, oh, I, you know, I'm a retired Marine. You know, it's like, I, I just want people to accept me for me. But then that time in the service is always a part of you. It shaped you, you know, going to Paris Island and, you know, for, for 13 weeks and then going through, uh, you know, uh, OCS and, and the basic school, you, you know, that is, that is something that shaped me and molded me. The people I served with that, you know, had my back and vice versa is always going to be a part of me. You know, in fact, sometimes it's not even so much that you miss the service, you miss the friendships, you miss that connection. And I think that's where sometimes people struggle because it's like they may not have been in combat, but now they don't have that group of people that they can fall back on. And, and I think that's, that's very interesting. I, I did not know that part of it, Tom. I always thought it was more related to the, uh, you know, the folks that were, you know, it was more combat related, but you know, that definitely veteran suicide is a huge problem. But, but I did want to go back to part of the reason we wanted to have you on here is let's talk about the challenge that Zach is having and how, and how we can help there and, and maybe let people know what exactly is going on with, with the Zach who, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he served not only his country, but he served our country and what he did with, uh, with the Marines for, for those years. Undoubtedly he served our country. Uh, I, I mean, some, there are Americans who are alive today, me, one of them because of, of Zach service our country. So, um, uh, again, in 2016, his persecution became so intense that he can no longer pursue a life in Afghanistan, which uh, I think that was a horrible realization for him. Someone who had invested so much in his country's future to, to not be able to to try to enjoy that. Uh, and so he started this visa application in 2016 and, and we spent the next 12 months sending letters and, and revising the application and we made no progress, none. And so after a year of trying to do appeals and, and everything that we could, Zach said, you know, I, I, I've got to try to figure out uh, how I'm going to continue my life here because it's clear that no matter what we try to say or do, uh, it's not going to work out. And so it, it's, which is very frustrating because the requirement for this visa program was 12 months. And we put this visa program in place for people like Zach who were being persecuted. And so the idea is you serve with the U.S., we do a handshake and we say, because of this service and because we know you'll be persecuted for it, we'll provide you a pathway to citizenship. And Zach did his part. He did almost four years. And, and then we, we weren't honoring our part of that deal. And, and, and so Zach and I stayed in touch. Uh, but then when the announcement was made that we would withdraw from Afghanistan by the end of last summer, that, that announcement was made in April, I, uh, I put out just a call to help on social media. And I said, hey, here's this guy who's done incredible stuff for our country. He's, he rates this visa. Uh, can anybody help me get him the visa? Because if he, if he doesn't, he's going to be killed. And there's an incredible wave of support, bipartisan, both parties, uh, Republican, Democrat, throwing their weight behind this uh, highest levels of media were, were backing us. And, and, and despite this massive uh, wave of support, we, we actually didn't make any progress through the system. And, uh, and so Zach, when, when it became apparent that the Taliban were going to take Afghanistan, I, I said, Hey, you, you got to get 
to Kabul and you got to get to the airport and we've got to figure out a way to get you out. And so the book chronicles this experience of him leaving Kunar, uh, going to Kabul and then uh, his three attempts to, at the airport and, and, and just him leaving Kunar, I, I think in and of itself is a, it's a really um, heroic act on his behalf to, to say goodbye to his mother, to his family knowing that he will likely never see them again on a hope and a dream of providing a safe and secure future for his children. I think that, that, you know, you know giving his nieces and nephews a kiss goodbye. I mean, that must, that in and of itself, I think was a, an incredibly courageous and hard decision. And then what he experienced in Kabul as the, as the government collapsed was, uh, I mean, harrowing. And uh, in, in the book, we chronicle the three different attempts um, for him to escape out of the airport. And what I kind of, you know, for, for context, I think any parent that's trying to take small kids to the airport know it's it's tough. Uh, now, now, now you've got four kids under the age of five. That's really tough. Now you got to walk to the airport with four kids under five and your four bags. Very, very tough. Now there's also a hundred thousand people at that airport, all trying to get at the same time where, where children were actually being trampled. I, I mean, and, and so as a dad, it, everything in you as a dad is to protect and provide. And now you're bringing your children into this chaos where, where kids are getting trampled. Now you add in the fact that his children were seeing people get killed with machine guns. And, and so you add all that in and, and you can imagine, uh, how trying that must have been for Zach in those moments to 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 just and all he wanted what we all want is a is an opportunity, security for our family and and so uh, it's truly a testament to his uh, his dedication to his children to his family to 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 get them out of that uh, and, and into a better life and and the book chronicles uh, just how harrowing those escape attempts were and his ultimate rescue. And so now, as as Jim had mentioned, um, he is still without uh, without a visa, and in in, in the seemingly like uh, I don't know what, I don't know what word ridiculous uh, like red tape or whatever that's preventing this uh, from happening. Um, I think when people are hearing the story that that you have to share, reading this book. Um, you know, I know that the the first inclination for for myself, for my wife, other people that I've talked to about it is, well, what can I do? Right? What, you know, here I am, just you know, person X in you know city Y, and you know whatever. This is this is impacting me. What can I do? Is there something that that uh, that uh, someone who's listening right now and, and, you know, if buying the book is, is something that does help cool, uh, but, and, and certainly it is available here on Amazon, but what else, what else can people do? Is it, is it writing letters to, you know, to their, uh, to their Congress people? Is it, uh, you know, uh, maybe talk a little bit about what someone can do that hears the story and is impacted by it. Yeah. I mean, I think, we should all feel some righteous indignation uh, about the way that we're treating our allies. It, it's if you look at historically, we've always relied upon our allies to help us fight when wherever we go to fight. And if you look to the future, we'll undoubtedly need our allies again. And and so uh, you've got to keep your promises to them. It, it, it's we're not 
asking for anything. We're not asking for a special exception for Zach. We're we're just asking to honor the contract that we made with him. The the the, the terms of the deal are are very they're in black and white, and Zach upheld his part of that contract. And so, if we're not a nation who honors our promises, for a nation who leaves our allies, uh, we'll find it very difficult to be succeed in the next big fight. And and. And if history tells us anything, there will be the next big fight. And so uh, I, I think what we can do is is demand uh, some accountability for the people who make these promises and say, hey, uh, what are we doing to support the 87,000 Afghans who were eligible for this visa, who applied for it and are still in Afghanistan? And what are we doing for the ones that are here who still haven't had it approved? I think those are fair questions to ask of, of, of folks. How many, um, how many besides Zach... Um, are, are there estimated that are, they're in the sort of in his kind of situation? Yeah, in terms of how many in the, the U.S., I don't know. I know there's a figure out right now that that 87,000 uh, SIV applicants are still in Afghanistan. Many of them have already been executed, and uh, not only is it the 87,000, but the, the the program includes immediate family, so wife and children. And so when you when you add in that now, when you add in that figure, it, it balloons up to about 150,000 folks who should be afforded an opportunity to come to this country based on their service, based on their now persecution because of that service. That's that's kind of the, the figure we're looking at. And and now specifically for Zach, you've got a GoFundMe set up to kind of help uh, with some of the cost involved because like, you know, Immigration lawyers aren't free, uh, things of that nature. What what else, you know, should we write our Congress, you know, our senators and local congressmen? Do you think that's going to help? I mean, what, you know, because I'm, I'm sure like you, you know, Tom, I want to know what can I do to fix the problem, right? Because, you know, sometimes you feel like, you know, if I'm talking to the wrong person, nothing's going to get done and no, I'll go, I'll go over their head. Sure. Uh, you know, Zach is living in a one bedroom apartment. Uh, in San Antonio with his five children and his wife. He works hanging drywall for uh, 12 hours a day, six days a week at a cancer hospital. So he's doing what immigrants have always done in this country and it's taken the tough job. They've helped uh, continue to build this, this great country that we live in. And so we want to continue to support him in any way that we can. Uh, one one way is obviously financially. One way is to, to, to buy the book. Uh, one way might be to go for me. Uh, but I, I mean... Look, uh, we have a moral obligation to can, to keep pressing this issue. And so you, you should use all paths and means and tools available to continue to say, how are we honoring this, this moral obligation that we have to these folks? Yeah, definitely. amazing. So we we are on Amazon. So uh, they tell us, you know, not to uh, not to promote other sites, um, and GoFundMe would be one of them. But uh, on the other places, we do have in the show notes uh, the direct link to the GoFundMe if if this is uh, touching you. So um, and if you are on Amazon and uh, once the show's over and you're done shopping on Amazon, feel free to. Uh, to type uh, helpzack.dealcasters.live and uh, that'll take you to the GoFundMe. But while you're on Amazon, if you go to um, alwaysfaithful.dealcasters.live, make sure you pick up the book, Always Faithful. Um, you know, we said that you're the author, but it's actually co-authored and it is an int- it's a really interesting. I don't think I've ever read a book, uh, Major, where it's you know, it's alternating between two voices, chapter to chapter. It was just so, so that's, that's really interesting because it's like, 
you get to the end of one chapter and you're compelled, but then it's like, oh, wow, this is a different viewpoint from Tom. This is a, you know, a different viewpoint from, uh, from Zach. So I thought that was a, that was a really, uh, you know, cool, original, creative way of putting the book together for sure. Plus you only have to write half of it, right? Yeah. Well, we, <laughs> as, uh, we mentioned up front, we also had the, the support of, of worth, even if he's coming in the comments, uh, talking a little trash, but, uh, I, I think, <laughs> I think it was, uh, it's important for the American public to receive the education that Zach provides in his chapter. And so it's something that has been part of our collective conscious for the last 20 years, this Afghanistan, you know, this some, somewhere, something over there. And, and, and to have, uh, rather than me, a guy who spent about 17 months there say, Hey, Here's what this country is all about. You've got a guy who was born there, raised there, spent his whole life there, invested everything he could into the success of this country. And so to me, it, it, it makes a lot more sense to, to have that perspective there so that we can really get a, a much fuller uh, and a much deeper picture of what this country was all about. And, and, and Zach paints it in many ways as a just a beautiful, beautiful place with a beautiful culture. And so I think that's uh, that's part of what makes this book unique is that you get that uh, other lens, that other perspective into into Afghanistan. Yeah. Yep. Very true. I and uh, Tom, you, you have a you have an Instagram account, right? That uh, that people can can follow you on. I think. Sure. And and that's where we started this appeal. Uh, when I was at Georgetown, I I did a capstone project where I was uh, trying to work through these trauma narratives that that were around veterans and, and work through some of the mental health stuff uh, with all kind of part of this capstone project in Georgetown and. And as you know, there's a, uh, where, where, when somebody's ambushed, uh, the, the specific point of the ambush is called the kill zone. And so I, I thought, um, we've got to be more resilient because everybody experiences the ambush. Like Chris was talking about, everybody has that need for tribe and purpose. It's, it's a universal mankind need and, and everybody, not just veterans, uh, end up having a traumatic experience happen in their life. Everybody has that ambush, whether it's a car accident, cancer, and so, something unexpected happened and, and you're going to have to figure out how you're going to deal with that. And so I started this page kill zone to kind of say, how can we, we be more resilient when these ambushes happen? And then how can we find that pathway to recovery? Because it, if it hasn't happened already, it is going to happen. And so that, that ambush is, is coming to, to us all and probably more than one. And so, uh, I wanted to kind of, uh, have some discourse in and around uh, resiliency, recovery, the mental health aspect. And so that's where this uh, page kills on kill KIL dot Z zero and three came from. And, and I chronicled Zach's escape attempts there last year. And it, and it definitely uh, amplified uh, the issues that we were, we were experiencing there. And so that's, that's where I kind of uh, still keep updates about Zach and about what's going on uh, on that page. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, make sure you follow that folks. We're going to add that in the comments as well for, for those of you that, uh, that use Instagram, you know, it, it is a, it is a thing outside of the Facebook. Um, Tom, I, you know, I can't, can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us today. I, you know, I hope that, uh, this is able to help as part of this journey to get, uh, Zach, you know, back, uh, you know, able to stay here and not have to worry about, uh, what's next for him and his family. Um, you know, th- and you know, I know right there, I say, I want to, I want to thank you for everything you've done as a Marine and want to wish you continued success and, uh, 
whatever you're pursuing next in your career here. I know, I guess I, I guess you might be up for lieutenant colonel soon, I'm thinking, or getting, getting close to those times. Yep. And thank you for your service and everything you've done. And thank you both for having me. Yeah. Thank Semper, you. Semper Appreciate it, Major. Ruh. Yes, sir. There's a, yeah, I should make mention there's a ton of people here in the chat that are, are fans of yours. Uh, Major Tanya, uh, Don, thank you for chiming in. She's, uh, she's got all kinds of feels here, uh, here in the chat. Jarhead Six Rides, our uh, friend also, uh, Marine, um, says Semper Fi, hurrah. Um, here, Jarhead Six Rides. That's Fabian. He'll watch the replay later. Apparently, he was live streaming on Amazon during. I mean, what are you thinking? I mean, this is like your show, Fabian. Um, and tons of other uh, great uh, chats here. So, again, uh, make sure you pick up the book, Always Faithful uh, The Story of War in Afghanistan, The Fall of Kabul, and the Unshakable Bond Between a Marine and the Interpreter, Zach. Um, and again, thank you, uh, both you gentlemen, for your service. Uh, Major, thank you for joining us today on the show. And uh, as always, folks, don't fear the gear. Thanks for listening to Dealcasters. Congratulations. You've taken another step forward in your content creation journey. Please don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button here in your favorite podcast player so you can be reminded every time we drop an episode. We love hearing from our listeners and viewers. And if you're wanting to watch our shows live on Amazon, feel free to follow Dealcasters Live as well at dealcasters.live. Follow us on Twitter or subscribe to our YouTube channel where we also include added content that you cannot find anywhere else. If you have questions about this episode or have something you want us to review, you can also email us at dealcasters at dealcasters.live. Thanks again for listening, and you know the deal. Don't fear the gear.